you ever thought to yourself, now what would really bring credibility to Christianity is if some, some superstar came to faith in Christ. Some, some superstar like LeBron James became a superstar Christian. Or some Hollywood A-lister like uh, Angelina Jolie became an elite Christian and used her platform to, to promote Christianity. You know, what if, what if Joe Rogan was as outspoken about the gospel as he was about every other topic on his podcast? Or can you imagine if Elon Musk set his billions to further the gospel around the world? Now that would bring credibility to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's human wisdom. We would choose the most popular, impressive, excellent people to be ambassadors of Christianity. But friends, that's not God's wisdom. It's not God's way. John MacArthur explains God's wisdom is kind of a paradox. In human thinking, strength is strength. Weakness is weakness. Intelligence is intelligence. But in God's economy, some of the seemingly strongest things are the weakest. Some of the seemingly weakest things are actually the strongest. The paradox is not by accident, but... It is by God's design. Our sermon text this morning explains God's design. Please take your copy of God's Word. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Our text this morning is verses 26 through 31. That's on page 952. I would encourage everyone to get out a Bible. If you didn't bring one of your own, that's okay. Just get one of those black ones there at your feet. 952, you will be helped to see this yourself. Our sermon text explains God's design. And here's my prayer for us today. That the wisdom and grace of God through the cross of Christ will expose how arrogant it is for us to boast in ourselves and show us that our only boast in life and in death is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's read God's word together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that 
no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's God's words, friend. So the people in Corinth in about A.D. 54, when this letter was written, the people in Corinth loved wisdom. Philosophers, the wise men, were the superstars of the Greek culture. Everyone clamored after wisdom. And in fact, it was one of the main factors that determined uh, your status in society. So when people in Corinth began to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and become Christians, they brought that, that same value system into the church. And what we found out in the past couple of weeks, for example, chapter 1, verse 10 through 17, we found out that this church in Corinth was, was being torn apart in a church split. They were dividing over wisdom and spiritual maturity, of all things. And Paul appeals to them in that section to lay aside your differences and be united specifically in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, from chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 2, verse 5, Paul explains how the cross of Jesus is the wisdom and power of God. He explains, for example, that the message of the cross, that was last week, the message of the cross to the world, it seems like foolishness and weakness. I mean, it's a crucified Savior. How is that not foolish and weak? But in God's estimation, it is the power and wisdom of God. Complete opposite paradigms for wisdom. This week, we're not talking about the message of the cross, but we're going to talk about those who receive the message of the cross, the people of the cross. And what we're going to find out this week is that uh, the Corinthian society, just like the American society, counts some people as really important and others not so much. People like the wise, the powerful, the noble, you know, the... uh well, like I said, LeBron James's, Angelina Jolie's, the, the Elon Musk's of the world. The world values them. So it would stand to reason that God would call those kinds of people to himself and that everyone else would follow. But in verse 26, Paul encourages the church to look around the room. Look in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you, not many of the people who are in the church at Corinth are wise, powerful, and of noble birth according to worldly standards. 
The reality, the reality is you're not really the kind of people that Corinth would choose. You're not wise, you're not noble, and you are not powerful. One of the commentators helped me this week to understand that those three terms, wise, noble, and powerful, are the three terms that they used to speak specifically of the philosophers. The philosophers were the wise ones who came from the lineage of the powerful and noble. And it's not just true of the church at Corinth, but that's true of us too. Not many of us are wise. We're not the intellectuals. We're not the critical thinkers of the world like, you know, uh, Noam Chomsky or Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens. Not many of us are powerful. We're not the influencers of the world. Time Magazine every year posts the 100 uh, most powerful people. I've never made the list. Have you? My wife keeps nominating me, but it just doesn't happen. <laughs> We're not the influencers of society. You know, the artists, the innovators, the icons, the leaders from every sphere of politics and business and science and religion and athletics and entertainment. You know, those are the influencers. But not mostly us. Not many of us are of noble birth. We didn't come from nobility. You know, we immediately think of the British royalty just changed hands from queen to king. Our own American royalty might be, you know, the uh, the old money, the, the powerful and influential families, especially of the, the Northeast, like maybe the, the Kennedys. Not many of you are of noble birth. You know, most of us, if we were on the cast of Downton Abbey, we would be the downstairs, not the upstairs, right? We're not the Duke or the Duchess. And Paul says, here's the reality. You're not the kind of people that Corinth would choose. But here's the good news. These are not the kinds of things that God values. God chooses the nothings to bring those who think they're something to nothing. Then God, God connects those who are nothing to Jesus Christ, which changes everything. And he does this so that the nothings who have received everything by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, will boast in Christ alone and not themselves. Now that's my whole sermon in a sentence. I want to talk about those three statements that I just made. I want to show them to you from this text. Look, in verse 26 and 29, here's the wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of the world. The world would choose, but but whom does God choose? Look in verse 26 through 29. God chooses those who are nothing to bring to nothing those who think that they're something. Look at verse 27. God chose what's foolish in the world to do what? To shame the 
wise. God cho chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Notice here three times that it's God doing the choosing. It's God who chose those who made up the church at Corinth, friends. And we, what we see here is the sovereign, elective grace of God in action in our salvation. We don't ultimately choose God. He chooses us. Jesus said in John 15 to his disciples, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And it's the same with every single person who ever comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that here in this text, but more so. What this text is teaching and emphasizing three times that God chose is that God chooses the ones that no one else would have chosen. God's value system is different than what our society values. And so look there in verse 27. God chooses the foolish, weak, insignificant in the world. Yes, verse 28, even the nothings. I didn't make that up. Greek scholar Anthony Thistleton explains that, quote, the phrase, the things that are not, may best be translated the nothings. It's those who have nothing to bring. Those who have nothing to offer. And friends, that's the first step to becoming a Christian. Did you know that on the very first time that Jesus preached a public sermon, his first point in Matthew chapter 5 in the famous Beatitudes was this point. The first step to becoming a Christian is blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor? It means to have nothing. Where? In your bank account? In your, on your personal portfolio? No, 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 no. Spiritually, those who are poor in spirit. The first step to becoming a Christian is recognizing that you need. You have a spiritual poverty that you cannot fill up by yourself. And so James repeats this. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? When Jesus came, he went to people and he said, I'm like a doctor who's come for those who are sick. But if you think you have no spiritual disease, if you think you're already well, then you have no need of me. So the question to every person in the room is simply this. Do you see yourself as needy? Do you see your need for Christ? If so, that's the first step to becoming a Christian. And Jesus went to the outcasts. He didn't go to the in crowd. Did you ever notice that throughout the Gospels? 
He went to the nobodies instead of the somebodies. And think about how many how many of Jesus' parables made this point? For example, Jesus told the story about the, uh, the, the great one who sent out uh, invitations to all of the people in the town and, 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 and all of the somebodies were invited, but they didn't want to come. And so what did he tell them? He said, go out into the highways and the hedges and invite anybody who wants to come to come in. He went out to the outcasts Friends, that's the gospel. God chooses the foolish and the weak, the insignificant in the world. Yes, even the nothings. And he does it for a purpose. Look there in verse 27 and 28. He does it to shame those who are wise, strong, and despise. To bring shame to something is to lose face. It's to realize that what you thought was so important is not actually so important. And that's what's going to happen. By calling the nothings, God shows that what we think is something is actually nothing. He exposes the value. Look at verse 28. He says he's going to bring to nothing those who considered themselves to be something. To bring them to nothing. And then verse 29, God chooses this. He has this upside down economy in order to, verse 29, silence all human boasting in the presence of God. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses those who are nothing. To bring to nothing those who think they're something. Question is, which one are you? Who are you in that equation? Number two. Look in verse 30. Here's God's wisdom and God's grace. God connects those who are nothing to Christ, which changes everything. God takes those who are nothing. Poor in spirit, got nothing to offer God. We don't stand in our own power, wisdom, or strength. We recognize all we have is need. He takes the nothings, unites them by faith and grace to the Lord Jesus Christ And that connection, that union, changes absolutely everything. Look at verse 30. Because of him, God. Because of God, church at Corinth, Winchester Baptist Church, Christian friend. Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus Who became to us. So Jesus Christ becomes to us all of the things that we were hoping for. What? Wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God connects those who are nothing to Christ. At the very beginning, we see that this is a work of God. It's it's God's grace through faith in the message of the cross that 
that Paul just talked about in verse 18 through 25. God connects those who will repent and believe in the Christ of the cross, and he connects them, unites them to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's what baptism is all about. It's a visual demonstration of, of us being united with Christ in his death, burial, resurrection, life, and church. We're going to get to see that twice today. I can't wait. God connects those who are nothing to Christ, which changes everything. Look there at the end of verse 30. These four qualities, they characterize Christ. Christ is the wisdom. He is the righteousness. He is the sanctification. He is the redemption. But we, because we're united to him, now that we have a joint checking account in this gospel marriage, we have everything that he has. So what is his is imparted to us, not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but simply by grace through faith. It's like that coupling, God's grace, our faith, all of the work of God unites us to Jesus Christ. John Calvin, in his commentary on 1 Corinthians, writes this about these four things. It's, it's, it's awesome. Calvin writes, you will scarcely meet with another passage of scripture that more distinctly marks out all of the offices of Christ and the nature and efficacy of faith. Then he explains each of the four. When we're united with Christ, he is our wisdom. Calvin says, we obtain in him an absolute perfection of wisdom inasmuch as the Father has fully revealed himself to us in Christ so that we might not desire to know anything beside him. He is our righteousness. Calvin says, we are on his account acceptable to God. Inasmuch as he expiated our sins by his death and his obedience is imputed as our righteousness. Christ is our sanctification. Calvin says, we who are otherwise unholy by nature are by his spirit renewed to holiness so that we may serve God. He is our redemption. Calvin says, we are delivered at once from all bondage to sin and from all of the misery that flows from it. Salvation consists in our being drawn out of the labyrinth of sin and death. Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. God connects those who are nothing to Christ. That changes everything. And then finally, verse 31. We see the wisdom of God and the grace of God. Now we see the glory of God. Why does God do this? Why does he take the nothings, connect them to Christ that changes everything so that? Look at the verse. Look at the beginning of verse 31. So that. Here's the purpose. Verse 29. So that. 
negative. Verse 31, so that positive. Just like in 29, it was so that all humans will be silenced and nobody can boast of their skill and strength and wisdom and power and nobility in the eyes of God. Now the positive, verse 31, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts do what? Boast in the Lord. God does all this so that, get this, the nothings who now have everything by grace alone, through faith alone, can boast in Christ alone. The gospel shows us our nothingness and gives us the grace of everything so that our only boast is Christ. Listen, we've read God's the one here who does the choosing, the connecting, and the changing. We're the ones who have nothing but receive everything. So we can see how arrogant it is for us to boast in ourselves. And it's we can see equally why our only boast is the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Zach read for us earlier from Jeremiah. This is what Paul is quoting. The Lord said, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Listen, God gave the wise man his wisdom, but it's not his boast. It's not his confidence. It's not his hope in life and death. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts in this that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And in these things, I delight, declares the Lord. What's your boast? Here's a church full of people in Corinth who are boasting, I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I don't care about human teachers. I'm only of Christ. What's your boast? The most impressive thing about any Christian is not what humanity counts as valuable, significant, or important, but only what we have received by grace in Christ. Therefore, as Thistleton says, Christ is becomes the Christian's sole ground for boasting. That's why Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. God chooses those who are nothing. To bring to nothing those who think they're something. Then God connects those who are nothing to Christ, which changes everything. So that the nothings who have received everything by grace alone, through faith alone, can boast in Christ alone. Non-Christian friend, I'm so glad you're here today. 
Do you see yourself like this text describes you? Or is it offensive to think that the Bible is kind of knocking down our self-esteem here? You're telling me that I'm foolish and weak and, and insignificant? Only if you boast in it. God, God says, you're so valuable that I sent my son to die for you. But before you can ever take one step toward understanding the good news of Jesus Christ and the massive love that is displayed on the cross, you have to recognize that everything we human beings count as something is actually nothing compared to the grace and mercy and love of God in Christ. If you see your spiritual poverty, then understand that the Bible tells us what to do when we recognize that nothing we have will earn favor with God or earn our way to heaven. We can't work hard enough, be good enough to make it to heaven. We've got nothing. We're already separated from God and condemned by our sin. We've got nothing can, that can make up the difference. But God has already done everything through the cross to secure your salvation. So the Bible tells us what to do. Turn away from everything that we say is something. Turn away from our good works and our morality and our religious devotion. Turn away from boasting and counting on and trusting that stuff. Turn to Jesus Christ. Trust him to make you righteous with God. And then declare that. Declare, I'm identified and united with Christ through the one thing that he told us to do, which is a visible demonstration of our union through baptism. Have you done that? I want you to. I pray that you will. Everybody in this room, just like Johnny and Jillian are going to do in just a minute. Christians, what, what does this do for us? What We've just read all about this, what does it do? Listen, Christian friend, this is our identity. This is it right here. God's work on the cross radically changes who we are. Radically changes our identity. We have received a complete change of status. So stop defining yourself by Instagram. Stop defining yourself by your relationship status or the size of your paycheck or how well your children behave or how spiritual you are. Start defining yourself by what has been secured for us by grace, gift, through faith, not works, in Christ, not you. Christian, in Christ, you've been declared righteous. So strive after holiness. 
You've been set apart for God. So serve him in your vocation in life. Whatever sphere you operate in every day. Serve God there. Christian in Christ, you have been redeemed. That's a that's a term that's taken straight out of the slave market in Corinth. Where slaves could be bought and freed. God has paid the price to free you from sin and death. The price was not silver and gold. The price was the precious blood of his son, Jesus Christ. You're free now. Stop defining yourself by your guilt and your failures. Start defining yourself as sons of God. Who God's love is already secure for you. As secure as Christ's sonship, I might add. This is our identity. This is also our boast. This is our boast, friend. Revelation chapter 5, multitudes, multitudes in the heavenly scene there in Revelation, multitudes of the redeemed are singing a new song to the Lamb. Listen to what they say. Listen to their boast. Listen to the how they glory. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, wealth, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing. What do those sound like? Only the lamb is worthy of those things. Only the lamb earns those things. And what is the basis of him receiving all of this and being worthy of this? Listen to this. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Friends, this is our boast. Boast in this. Go ahead, Christian. Boast as much as you want in the Lord Jesus Christ. Boast privately. Get your Bible. Get up every day. Read your Bible and boast in Christ. Come together every Sunday. Let's boast about Jesus. Let's sing about him. Read about him. Pray to him. Worship him. Hands up. Hands down. Quiet. Loud. I don't care. But boast in Christ. That's what Christians do. When you're having a conversation with your neighbor and you have the opportunity to boast in Christ Go ahead, do it. Boast in Christ instead of how good your lawn looks. Boast in the excellencies of the one who has called you out of darkness and into light. That's the very best evangelism that you will ever do. This is our boast. You know what this is? This is also our unity. That's why Paul's talking about it in the first place. Everything that God did here to make nothings something in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what unites us. Listen, friends, we're people of the cross. 
We have no reason to congratulate ourselves based on our intellect or influence or our status. At the cross, there's no room for division or power struggles. There's no room to evaluate who's higher, better, more mature, wiser at the foot of the cross. We're all the same here. And we're only here by grace through faith in Christ. So this is our unity. So friends, listen, just on a very practical level. When when the differences among us start to drive a wedge between us, whether they be personal, racial, cultural, political, or doctrinal, may we consider the cross. And may we work for, pray for, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. pray together. Oh God, we praise you for all that you have done to choose nothings. Connect us to Christ that changes everything. So that we who are nothing but have received everything by your grace through faith will boast in Christ alone. May we be people who boast in Christ. May he receive all of the glory, honor, and power, wisdom, blessing from our lips here in this city, in our nation, and around the world because he alone is worthy. All God's people said,